Hi, parents. It's Robin McMahon here. Thank you for listening to Parenting Our Future, which is in the top 0.5% of all podcasts worldwide. Before we dive into this episode, I want to invite you to join my membership site, The Parent Toolbox. You can join this membership for free. It's at www.parent-toolbox.com. And this is the companion site to my show, Parenting Our Future. In the Parent Toolbox, you will find game-changing tools and resources from both myself and my guest experts who are among some of the top minds in the parenting space. There are over 100 resources to help you navigate screen time, co-parenting, meltdown, teenagers, and so much more. Join today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. We know as parents that we are our strongest and most important advocate for our kids. But what happens if you have a kid that has extra challenges? If you have a kid that has special needs, you know, sometimes those kids can fall through the cracks. And I'm really honored to to speak today with Olivier Bernier, and he's here to talk about his movie, Forget Me Not. So I want to just talk to you a little bit about who he is, what he's done, and, and we're going to talk about this really important movie that he has. And then further to that, we're going to talk about inclusivity in the classrooms and um, why having kids of all different types of abilities is really good for everybody. So Olivier is an award-winning director. He lives and breathes to tell stories that explore the human condition. He's part American, part Quebecois. So he's from my motherland, Canada. Uh, He's also the co-founder and creative director of the production company Rota Six Films, specializing in documentary and commercial films. is what I love about him. He continues to and is passionate about developing, producing, and directing original content that aims to put a hyper focus on topics that can change the way we look at the world. I love that. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your documentary, Forget Me Not. What's it about? Why did you do this documentary? Sure. Well, Forget Me Not's about inclusive education. And we got into making the documentary really I think the moment that it probably started as a seed in my head was the moment my son was born, uh, which is when we found out he was born with Down syndrome. And from that moment, I knew I wanted to use my craft as a filmmaker to try to make the world a little better. So um, fast forward a couple of years later, there was a a grant out there to make a film about inclusive education. And Mm. me and my wife had always spoken about how we wanted our son to be included in society and we wanted to raise him just like we would have raised the son that we would have had if he didn't have down syndrome. So we didn't want to do it any differently. And I had to go on a journey to learn what inclusive education was. And that's largely what the film's about. Mm. So tell me about the film. Does it center on your child whose name is Emilio? Is it, uh, and, and what do you learn through the film? What do, what do viewers learn through it? Sure. Well, they, that's an interesting story because we started making a film that was very more of a cerebral look at what inclusive education was. And we interviewed people who wrote the laws in the U.S. We interviewed experts. And as we were making that film, we were enrolling our son in preschool. And pretty quickly, we realized that they were trying to segregate him into a special class. And we decided to turn the camera on ourselves. So the film kind of took a turn into a more personal story about trying to include our son in general education in New York City, which is the most segregated 
school system and also the largest school system in the U.S. So they wanted to put him in a classroom with who? Other kids that had disabilities, learning challenges? Like how did they segregate him? So they, uh, he was two and a half years old and they gave him a battery of tests and evaluations. And from that, we went to the IEP meeting and they decided without ever speaking to us that he belonged in a special class, which is with all people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're of the mindset that, um, you know, children learn with each other and from each other and that they should, Emilio should be exposed to all children. And especially at that age, at two and a half, three years old, you know, what more could you want from your, for your child than to experience all that the world has to offer. And really, you know, when I look at it, school is the first entrance into society. It's the first time you leave your parents for the day and you interact with other people. And really, when we looked at it, we wanted our son to go to a school that mirrored the society we want to live in. So we wanted him to go to a diverse classroom with all different abilities. So what is the school's rationale for putting those kids together? And I I don't know how else to say it. I'm sorry, that's inelegant of me to say those kids, but the kids that were there together that had uh, extra needs, what is the rationale? It's hard to say exactly. In the meeting, they gave us a a litany of reasons that just don't really make sense. But, you know, you'll see in the film because we film these meetings, um, which are rare to see on camera because they don't let you film them. Um, We just kind of had to muscle our way in there with cameras. And, uh, you know, they showed us a bell curve and they showed us where our son fit on the curve, only the bell curve wasn't large enough to fit our son. And, you know, they really looked at our child as a data point versus a human. And that that was probably one of the worst parts of it. But when you look at why they segregate children into special classes still today, I think it's really a leftover relic of the institutional era where because someone's different, they have to be separated from us. Um, And it's really you know, when the institutions were shut down in the U.S. in the late 70s, early 80s, the school systems had to had to absorb all these children and they didn't quite know what to do with them. So in New York City, they created an entire district called District 75 that was to absorb all the children from the institutions. And District 75 is its own district co-located in many schools around the city but they have separate entrances, they're on separate floors, and you don't even know that they exist. And these children never interact with typically developing peers the entire day. So that's kind of how it's run in New York. And, you know, I think the concept of special classes, that's just um, born out of really ignorance and just because of the Mm -hmm. way we've always done things. Sounds like it. It sounds like nobody's really sticking their hand up except for you right now. And and I know there's laws and, and there's different things for inclusivity, but what I know to be true and in, in, and, and having conversations with other people, um, I did have a conversation with a lawyer on, on the show, um, about the rights that parents have. Usually schools are not held accountable to enforce 
what you're entitled to. And it really becomes up to the parent. And now here you are as a parent that, you know, it's hard enough to raise a typical child, never mind a child with extra needs. So you've got a child with Down syndrome. And with that comes lots of extra needs. And now you need to somehow become an expert in the laws and uh, the rights you have as a parent for your child in school. That is overwhelming for many parents, every parent, not, not many, it is overwhelming period. Absolutely. I I think when I started this project, I had no idea the bureaucracy that we'd have to deal with and just the learning we'd have to deal with. And I, I should back up and say that my wife is a special education teacher. She has her master's in special education. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, So she was in the New York public school system teaching ninth graders and it was still extremely difficult. One, it's difficult to be on the other side of the table because you feel powerless, but also it's different when it's your own child and there's so yeah. much online. And I also in New York City, and I'm not sure how it works in Vancouver, but in New York City, once a child's put into a segregated setting, it's almost impossible to remove them from that segregated setting. So if Emilio really? were to go into a special class at the age of three, he'd likely end there at the age of 20 or 18 or whatever. <gasps> really? Oh, how sad is that? Wow. You know, and so I, I want to go back to what you said. They looked at him more like a data point versus a human with emotions. And you negate the gifts that he brings right? That the gifts that all these kids bring, you know, uh, one of my best friends has, uh, has a daughter with down syndrome. And I feel lucky that they're in my life that, you know, this little girl is growing into this beautiful woman and she's so full of love and light and she is just wonderful. And, um, you know, I let her know, I was talking to you. I, I, I let her know about your, your, your documentary. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's close to my heart. It's no joke. And I see the, the beauty in these beautiful children and what a shame that we can't integrate them, uh, especially in, in New York, where, the way you're saying it, because those typical kids can learn so much empathy, compassion, kindness, right? Well, let me tell you, Robin, I, you know, when my son was born, I was completely unprepared for him. I went to a school that was segregated, I assume, because I never saw a single person with a disability. And I had never spent time with anyone who had Down syndrome. So when my son was born, it was a very scary moment for me. And I I, I look back on that with regret because I didn't get to enjoy the first moments of his life because I was so concerned about what Down syndrome was. And I really, when I think about it, I think about that, you know, I was done a disservice by not having gone to school with, you know, more integrated settings. So I, you know, really when we wanted to make the film, I decided that I would make the film for myself before my son was born. So I wanted the film to be a bridge to people who never really thought about inclusive education or disabilities Um, And really like an entry point into the conversation of what inclusive education is. That's really, wow. That's, that's, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And, you know, I I look back at my own um, school experience and uh, we, we moved at one point from, from one district that was sort of in the suburbs back into Vancouver. 
And it was in Vancouver where I actually, uh, the, the school that I went to was completely inclusive. I had never seen a blind child before. I'd never seen a deaf child before. I'd never seen kids in wheelchairs, never seen any of that. And um, I, I think there might've been some special classrooms, what I can remember, but, but what I can tell you is that we all learn sign language. And I still know some of that to this day. I mean, what a gift, what a gift to be able to have that as a child, to learn that, to learn to communicate with these kids. And that has a ripple effect for all of us in a really positive way. So there are so many benefits to having these kids. And, and do you have anything to add to that other benefits that you know of now that you see now? Well, Emilio today um, is going to an inclusive education setting. He's in a general ed class in kindergarten. And, oh. you know, he's probably the most popular kid in his class. He gets invited to all the birthday parties. All I love it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the children love him. But Emilio doesn't have a big vocabulary. He doesn't have great verbal skills. And but the kids find a way to play together and they just see him as Emilio. They don't see him as a child with Down syndrome. And that is exactly the point of inclusion is that you grow up understanding that people are different. And it's a, it's about us trying to create a bridge to those people to see how can we communicate in different ways. Mm. Um, you know, we had his friend over just the other day and they were playing and, you know, sometimes they go off on their own and then they come back together. And, you know, I, I walked in, and I caught them hugging each other. Oh. You know, they're just buds. <laughs> so, you know, it's beautiful. And then um, I had another friend over, a friend of mine that has a child the same age. And every he doesn't go to an inclusive classroom. And every couple minutes he'd come in to, to the other room where the adults were hanging out. And he'd be like, why doesn't Emilio talk? And he'd keep asking that, you know, which is a fair question. Yeah. Because he's never been exposed to someone like Emilio, but it just shows you the difference right away. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and kids are just so honest, right? And just uh, curious. And that's okay. That's okay. You can mm -hmm. be curious, ask questions. Yeah. So yeah. what do you see as a result of what you've experienced and, and, and creating this documentary? What do we need to do to make our classrooms more inclusive? Well, there's definitely um, a lot that can be done to make classrooms more inclusive. And one of the biggest things is just changing the way you teach a class. So the days of teaching to the average child where the um, teacher stands in front of a blackboard and teaches off a textbook is pretty outdated mode of teaching. And we know now that that's, there is no average child. Every child's different, has their unique challenges and has their unique gifts. So really when you look at how a classroom should be structured um, should really, you know, follow the basis of universal design for learning that takes the same lesson and makes it accessible to different types of learners at all different um, levels. So, you know, when you see a really well-functioning class, which we show in the film, inclusive class, you see that the more gifted children are actually helping the children that have more challenges and they're actually reinforcing their learning by helping children that need it. Um, and at the same time, those children are learning about empathy, as you mentioned earlier, and it's a really beautiful thing to see. We went to the Henderson School in Boston, which has 40% of their population has disabilities, and I believe 20% has significant disabilities, um, autism, Down syndrome, uh, there's blind, deaf children. Everybody is learning in the same classroom. There's not a single 
segregated special class in in the school and it's um, preschool to 12th grade. And, you know, what you notice right away is that nobody is excluded. Nobody is, you know, treated differently from each other. Um, they give the accommodations that children need to access the learning. But other than that, you know, it just looks like a typical school where everyone's learning next to each other. And it's just such a beautiful thing to see. And really, when you see that happening in the classroom, you think, wow, what if our society could be like that? What if every workplace oh. could be like that? <laughs> it's just it's just a, <laughs> something we should all be striving for, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I uh, Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I love it. That's so true. Though, do you have any fears? You know, if your child is integrated, I would think a natural fear might be bullying or, you know, your child feeling like he's other as kids get older. Sometimes they can get meaner and, you know, teen years are difficult. So how does that feel to you? What is that like for you? Well, first of all, the above, <laughs> you know, of course we have these fears, um, but I, I would say that those same things could happen in a special class or a segregated class um, where often children just have, you know, emotional behavioral issues and aren't necessarily intellectually disabled. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that being in an integrated class makes any difference. And the truth is, is that Emilio's going to have to learn how to advocate for himself. He's going to have to learn how to you know, people are going to push his buttons and we've got to teach him how to push other people's buttons back, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's got to, yeah. he's got to stand up for himself just like I had to, and everybody else has to. Um, but I, I know Emilio just from, you know, the, the six and a half years he's been with us that he's a strong, strong headed boy. <laughs> I don't think he's going to let anyone get to him, no. uh, which is a love beautiful it. thing, you know, I love it. So all those, all those fears, you know, they're true, but I, I would have those fears of any child, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's true. I just thought I'd ask you because, you know, I, I, I'm just curious to, to see what your take is on that. So talk to me about parents and advocates and being our, our kids' best advocate. I mean, I know that to be true. As parents, we know our kids best. We know what's best for them. You know, we all have blind spots. Sometimes, you know, we, we need help. Of course we do. But you know, there are still kids that are being segregated. And so what do you say to those parents? What can they do? Yeah, well, the first thing, you know, I hope when parents see the film, parents of children with disabilities, especially that they feel empowered. Um, Emilio is just one story. There's millions of children like him across the country and, and parents fighting for the rights of their children. And when we talk about inclusion, it's, it's not a nice to have thing. It's a, it's a human right to be included, right. to not be disenfranchised from an early age. Um, so it's not just, um, you know, it's just not, it's not just a nice to have thing. It's not a luxury. It's really something that should be fought for because, you know, what we're doing for Emilio and what other parents are doing for their child, that's going to transfer to the next generation and the next generation. And the more that we have our children included, the more we're going to break down those barriers between people with disabilities and neurotypical children. Yeah. Is there, is there any, uh, any help in contacting lawmakers or um, school district, you know, 
the heads of school districts, superintendents, is there, is there any help in that? Does that help? Does it hurt? Does it, is it not, no help at all? Absolutely. Well, you know, there, there's two pieces of advice I give, and one is to just call your school and to request that your child be put in an inclusive setting, especially if you have a neurotypically developing child. You know, the, the truth is, is that the way we can change the trajectory of inclusive education is through the parents. It's how the institutions got shut down in the U.S. It's parents that force lawmakers just through action to shut down the institutions. And it's through the massive parents that can really make a change one dis- school district at a time. And it only takes one person to be convinced. It only takes a principal, an administrator, a teacher that has a really strong voice within a school um, maybe a teacher that will eventually become a principal, you know, it's, it's, it's just one, one person at a time can make a huge difference. And the other thing, you know, I made, like, as I mentioned earlier, I made the film to kind of introduce people to inclusive education that may not think about it on a daily basis. Um, first and foremost, I, I find it to be an engaging film. Most people do, you know, and I, I think sharing it with parents that have neurotypically developing children and, kind of having them think about, oh, wow, my my child could really benefit from going to an inclusive classroom and then kind of pushing for that within the school district. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, can you clarify something for me? When you say institutions were shut down, I don't know what you mean by that. And, and, and I think maybe some other people listening might think the same thing, might not know what you mean by that. Um, uh, and then I want to talk about the uh, the lawyer that you and I talked about, and uh, and and just sort of what's happened there because um, you know we don't get the kids we want, we get the kids we need. And I look at somebody like Emilio and you, and look at what gift he's already given you and the world, which I just think is incredible. But t- talk to me about the, the institutions. I don't know what that is. Yeah, um, well, the institutions in the U.S. were really born out of the eugenics movement, where people that were different were put into institutions and separated from the rest of society. So, you know, the institutions largely opened up in 1920s, 1930s. Mm. Um, And by the 1950s and 60s, these places were so full and so populated and understaffed that they just became horrible, horrible places. They were bad from the conception just because of what they were, but they became really horrible underfunded places. So, you know, say if Emilio was born in the 60s or early 70s, a doctor might have suggested to us right in the delivery room that our child would benefit from being put in one of these institutions and that we should consider in that moment institutionalizing him or her. So children were taken from their parents as early as a couple days old and sent to these institutions where um, they were called sometimes schools, um, and we go over this in the film, but it wasn't until these schools, you know, and institutions were exposed uh, as horrible places mm. where children were walking around naked, undressed, were being shoved food in their mouth and just horrible, horrible places. And that wasn't very long ago. These places existed 40 years ago, you know, in a, our they lifetime. Just, they just <laughs> ended in the 80s, you said. Yeah, they they finally... The laws start in the U.S., the laws started to come into place in the late 70s. And by the early 80s, they were finally shut down for good. Um, And today they don't really exist anymore in the way they did. Mm. Um, 
But, you know, part of the reason why we go over the history of institutions in the film is that I want to show people how far we've come in a short amount of time. Yeah. I established really well how much further we have to go, but that this can be done if we all work together and create a grassroots movement to, to get it done. Mm, that's that's great. Thank you for explaining that. I think I think it helps just a little bit to understand. Uh, and, and it sounds like schools weren't ready for the influx of children that needed to be taught. And that's probably... <laughs> you know, you don't have the infrastructure ready to go, then, you know, it's just not there. And if it continues exactly. on with no support, then, I, and, and look, I feel, I feel so, so bad for the teachers too, for the administrators, if they, you know, don't have the support, it takes, it takes a village. It takes many different people to, uh, to come together to support each and every child. Absolutely. And you know what? It's also just the institutional mindset still exists. Yeah, so yeah. we still have teachers teaching that were there when that happened, you know, and, and mm. it doesn't, it still exists in their head that they need to be separated because they're different. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Ugh, unbelievable. So tell me about, uh, Speaking of parent advocates, uh, I think this guy needs a cape uh, <laughs> over what he does. So um, I, like I just said, you don't get the kid you kids you want. You get the kids you need that are an invitation for you to heal yourself, for you to be become more of who you were always meant to be. Uh, you know, that certainly is my story with a, a challenging kiddo that I have that brought me to this work that I love so much. Um, so, yeah, tell me uh, tell me about that really quickly. Well, Emilio completely changed me. Um, again, I, I was just a filmmaker before, and now I feel like I have a purpose. Yeah. Um, he's also taught me so much about myself, as you mentioned, you know, just about the way I look at the world and accepting other people and how I had a blind spot mm -hmm. in my life for for other people. Um, so now I, I think I understand better more than ever um, how important differences are and how much they can teach us. So today, when I look at myself, I, I see a completely different person than I do from six years ago. Wow, that's really, oh, that's so beautiful, really, truly. And again, you know, it's it's not lost that that has a ripple effect, right? You look at people differently, you see, you're, you can be more curious, more empathetic, more compassionate, right? You just don't judge as much, you don't dismiss people as much, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you were talking about a, a lawyer with a law practice who pretty much gave up his law practice to fight for inclusion within the schools as well. So we got to thank him, right? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, we were filming with this um, family and their son, Aiden, was segregated in middle school um, and not allowed to go to the same school within his district with his brother and sister and they were basically saying that he had to get bused one hour each way to go to a different school um, where they had the accommodations that he needed so immediately they they sued um, and that has been an eight-year process still ongoing you know it might go to the supreme court eventually um, yeah. but they you know it's in those eight years Aiden loses He's yeah. being homeschooled because oh. they don't want him to go on a bus two hours a day. And, you know, that's that's really the tragedy is that we have great laws, but, you know, laws alone can't fix these issues because 
the schools know their way around it. And people that have socioeconomic challenges um, can't afford lawyers, to be honest. Exactly. It, and it does become about the haves and the haves not, have nots. It, it definitely does. And, and you can see that in other areas too. Um, but yeah, uh, and I think that's that's a really good point to make, you know, uh, and, I, and I thought about that, that a couple of times when you were talking is that, you know, there are parents that can afford you know, different things. And other parents, again, if social economically, you, you, you know, it, <laughs> you can't afford any extra help or anything, you know, then you're, you're in a really tough spot. And, uh, and that's, that's not fair. You shouldn't have to, shouldn't be about that. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for, um, for, for this film, for sharing your experience and uh, sharing sweet Emilio's life with all of us. And uh, you have a, a really great resource for us in the Parent Toolbox, which is a summary of the evidence on inclusive education. Can you tell us what that is a little bit that's in our Parent Toolbox, which everybody who's listening, you know, that's the extension of the podcast. It's parent-toolbox.com, uh, where you can get free resources from all of my guests. And, and, and just tell us what uh, the Alana, um, the, the summary of inclusive education is all about. Sure. Um... So we have that. And if you go on forgetmenotdocumentary.com too, we have more pieces of the film that weren't even included in the film. And we have a bunch of resources oh, okay. there. But that particular document is actually what I started my research with. And it's written by Thomas Hare, who is involved in writing the IDEA law, which is the law that you know recommends the least restrictive environment for students. So it looks at the world and about inclusive education and statistics on how inclusivity helps children. Um, so I think it's a really interesting piece of research. And what's great about it is that you can quote it in your IEP meetings when your you know, yes. district administrator says your child needs to be in a segregated setting. Well, you can say, well, here's this document that shows 100 studies show inclusivity is better for children and not a single study shows that segregation is good for children. So, oh, yes. <laughs> there's a bunch of quotable, quotable metrics in there because, you know, they're often very um, hell bent on telling you the, the data so you can bring some data to oh your Oh, my God. That well. is a mic drop moment. <laughs> like, boom, here you go. Let me show you this. And I actually have it up on my other computer screen here. And you have some really great graphics that uh, I appreciate, you know, simply is simplified. Uh, you have inclusion, segregation, integration, and inclusion, and what the differences are, and you do use some circles and some dots, and that really, really well uh, illustrates the difference and what really inclusion means. And essentially, it means these kids are just in the classroom with the other kids and just learning along with them. Um, so that's really beautiful. Thank you for that resource. That makes me feel like empowered and uh, you know, knowledge is power, right? And being able to say, nope, this is actually what's true, not what you're telling me, right? And uh, that's, that's, that is exciting. So I really want people to check out the Forget Me Not documentary, uh, which you can find at forgetmenotdocumentary.com. Uh, and you're all over Facebook and Instagram uh, at Forget Me Not Documentary. And, uh, and look, it's a great thing for everybody to watch, whether you have a child that is typical or not, uh, you know, we can all do better. And our society and our communities are better for our kids being together. And, uh, and let's make sure that that we move forward in that direction and not backwards. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would share it with someone who you think needs to hear this message too. And please don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. And if you like my content and want more, please visit my site, parentingforconnection.com, where you can find out more about my coaching, my courses, and all things parenting. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace, connection, and joy.